0: Kay and Down can go out there. Hey, and I'm going to have you kids sit on the ground this week, on the floor, so y'all can see me. (coughs) So we're all, let's all sit down, no, y'all sit down there on the ground so you can like turn and look at me this week, okay? So we've got Kay and Down going to uh, Children's Church which I'm assuming is in the new children's area. I don't, I don't know. I don't ever go back there. There are things going on that I'm not even aware of. Some of y'all were actually aware of that, that I was unaware But um, Hey, we're glad y'all are here this morning. I want to tell you a story. And this is a story that Jesus told. All right? So this is the story that Jesus told. He said there was a man who had two sons. And one of those sons, the younger of those two sons, one day said to his father, Dad, I want everything of your inheritance that you're going to give me when you die, but I want it right now. And the father gave him the part of his inheritance that he was going to get when he died, and he gave it to him. And, the, and Jesus tells this story, and he said, only a few days after that, this son went with all of that money... And he went into a far country, and the Bible says that he just wasted the money. He spent it on whatever he wanted to, and he had a big time, apparently. But something happened. He ran out of money. And there was a famine, kind of an economic downturn in that country, and there were a lot of people in a lot of serious need. And this young man couldn't support himself. And so he had to go work. And he worked for a man who. And he went for this man. This man apparently raised pigs or hogs. And this young man fed this man's pigs for him. He was so hungry, he wanted to eat what he was feeding to the hogs just to fill his stomach because he was so hungry and didn't have anything. And then. The young man realized something when he had hit rock bottom. He said, you know what, the men that work for my father have a better life than this. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up from where I'm at and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have blown it. I have offended you. I have been a horrible son. And I'm not asking to be your son anymore, but will you hire me as one of your servants so that I will have something and I'll be taken care of. And so the young man got up from that far country that he was living in. And he went to the father. He went home. And this is what Jesus said in the story. When the young man was coming down the road. Getting close to his house. His father was waiting for him. And the father. The, Jesus in the story says that the father Ran. Because he saw the son a long ways away. And he ran. And he, he grabbed, he hugged his son. And he kissed his son. I think sometimes I kiss my boys. Not on the lips. You know, it's more of a kiss on the forehead, kiss on the neck kind of thing. That was a little embarrassing, wasn't it? Yeah. Not every day, but when they've been off in the far country and wasted my inheritance then, and they come back, then we kiss. Uh-huh. But Jesus said that the father grabs the son and hugs him and kisses him. And the son says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore and I'm not asking for anything. Will you just hire me to be one of your servants? And the father doesn't even respond to the son He tells the other men that work for him, he said, I want you to go and I want you to get him new clothes and new shoes. And I want you to go and I want you to begin to prepare the best meal we have because this my son was lost and now he is found. My son was dead, but now he is alive. And the Bible says, Jesus in the story says that the father threw a great party for his son who had come home. Guys, there's a reason that Jesus told that story. Jesus told that story for all of us so that we would know that when we have failed, when we have done things that the Heavenly Father doesn't like, in fact, if we have offended Him in the greatest way we could, when we have failed, that the Father is there with open arms to forgive us And to receive us back into fellowship or relationship with Him. You see, Jesus told that story. Not really about a father and a son. But He told that story about our Heavenly Father and us. So that we would know whenever we failed. And we're as far away from God as we could imagine. That God is a Father that receives us back. Into his fellowship, and so I want. This is what I want you to know today. And I'm going to talk about some other things in my sermon, but I want you to know that we have a heavenly Father that, when we fail, receives us back in forgiveness and grace, back into his fellowship. All right. Thank y'all. Y'all have been great this morning. When, when John, the apostle. Uh, was writing his gospel. And I really believe that the gospel of John is written when John is an old man and Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already circulated and people know that. And I think John's getting close to death. He was the last of the 12 to still be alive. That John wrote his record of the life of Jesus. Now, you have to realize that John walked... And lived with Jesus for three years. John knew Jesus. And his character and his heart. And when John begins to write his gospel. He makes a statement that characterizes. That summarizes who Jesus was. From someone who saw him. And lived with him for three years. And he says in the 14th verse of John 1. He says, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I believe that was a, that was a huge statement from John that captured who Jesus was. He was full of grace and truth. There's, there's a lot of stories. But one of the stories that John told about Jesus that illustrated how He was a man of grace was in John 8, the woman caught in adultery. You remember that story? Only recorded in John's Gospel. Jesus is in the temple and the religious leaders bring a woman who they said was caught in the very act of adultery. I'm quite honestly offended by the story and those marshmallow-brained Pharisees that brought the woman because I'm thinking, hmm, adultery, hmm, where is the man? But anyhow, we'll talk about that later. It's not in the Bible. They bring the woman and throw her before Jesus and say... Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, the very act. The law prescribes that she should be stoned. What do you say? You remember the story. It says that Jesus didn't respond verbally. It says that he knelt down and he began to doodle or draw in the dirt or write something. I don't know. It doesn't record what he wrote, but he wrote with his finger. Kind of like cricket doodles. Are you doodling right now, cricket? There's the doodle. Yeah. Oh, she's taking notes. It, here in just a minute when she starts fading out, she'll start doodling. Yeah, won't you, Melanie? Yeah. Anyhow, I don't know if Jesus was taking notes or he was doodling, but he begins to write and he doesn't respond. And uh, finally he makes a statement and he says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And he goes back to doodling on the ground. And the Bible says starting with the oldest (laughs) down to the youngest, they began to just walk away until they were all gone. And Jesus looks up at the woman and said, where are your accusers? And he said, neither do I condemn you. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. There's probably a lot of stories we could highlight from the Bible about the grace of Jesus. Maybe to those that society thought were the worst of sinners. When Jesus says to the woman, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He was representing are reflecting the grace of the heavenly father. Jesus remember remember what John said at the start of his gospel and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father. When Je- when when John said Jesus lived out full of grace and truth it, his life was a representative a representation or a reflection of who the character of the heavenly Father was. God is a God full of grace and truth. And Jesus was reflecting that in his encounter with the woman caught in adultery. I want you to think back with me as we think about grace about (laughs) the prodigal son. If you're needing to read that story, that's in Luke 15. I wonder in the story of the prodigal son, how that younger son's attitude changed once he had come home. Now I know we don't know this, because Jesus is telling a story, so we don't really know, but I got to thinking about what must his attitude have been like before he got the courage To come to the point in his life of basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead right now. Give me what is mine. I'm thinking he must have been a miserable young man. He must have been miserable to live with. Think about what his attitude must have been and what he reflected as he worked for his father and he lived around the house. Thinking that dude, mm, bad attitude. I wonder how that changed after he came home and began to work for the father again. I kind of always thought this, that probably it was kind of hard for dad before that to get him up out of bed and go to the fields and work. I kind of have a feeling that next day after that party, even though they may have partied all night, the younger son was up going, what do we need to get done today? Great attitude. What was it that changed in his life? He had experienced the grace of the Father. And it changed everything. And you see, that's the way it ought to be in our lives. When we have experienced God's grace, then it ought to change us and we ought to live out that grace. When God the Father has extended His grace to us, there is a challenge that then we extend that grace in our lives to those around us now this fall we're talking about relationships and we're talking about connect that we have to develop connecting relationships as we have said the first few weeks our first connecting relationship with god that we have a genuine Uh, relationship, a day-by-day relationship with Him, and that when we experience Him and His character and His life and we we are, uh, uh, you know, focused upon His Word and spending time with Him, that then that experience then ought to be extended out to those in our life. And so this morning we take a little bit of a turn. We've been talking about our connecting relationship with God the Father. And starting this Sunday, I want to talk about begin to talk about that relationship with other people. And I've said this before, but I, I want to make this truth, that you understand this, that my relationship with others flows out of my relationship with God. My relationship with others flows out of my relationship with God. As we have experienced God... And specifically this morning, we're talking about grace and forgiveness. As I have received God's grace and His mercy and forgiveness in my life, then I need to extend that to others in my life that I encounter. I want to specifically talk about today and really the next several weeks Developing connecting relationships within the body of Christ. I believe that as we've experienced God and we have a relationship with Him, then that ought to flow to others and we ought to have a connecting relationship with those that are within the body of Christ and that as we open up our lives to others and we develop those relationships that it creates a network of strength for us within the body of christ Um, it's interesting to me and then what we're going to do after these sermons this phase we're going to talk about then how do we relate to those outside the body of christ i would contend there is a scriptural precedent to say We have to start with relationships within the body of Christ and then move out from there. Uh, Jesus, um, John 13, John 13 says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Kind of interesting. Jesus didn't say, hey, they're going to know you're my follower because you love them. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said they will know you are my follower because they see a love for one another. And what Jesus meant by that was within the body of Christ. We start with a relationship, a connecting relationship with God. And out of that flows our relationship uh, within the body of Christ. And then it spills over to those that are outside the body of Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians addresses the church as he does in, in in a way he does in none of the rest of his writing. I don't know if that was good grammar, I kind of, you know. He talks to the church more pointedly in in his letter. That we call Ephesians than any other of his writings. And it's kind of interesting that there's six chapters to Ephesians. And the first three chapters he kind of talks about theology. And, our, and how we have experienced God in our own lives individually. Which is what connects us even as we've been talking with, with God. So he talks a lot about theology. One through three. And my experience of how I'm connected with God and grace and all of that. And then in chapter 4, he begins to turn and talk about, then what does that look like? If I've had an encounter with God, then what does that look like on a daily basis? And you know what he does in Ephesians chapter 4? Is he begins to talk about how do we relate to one another within the church? If we have so experienced God, chapters 1 through 3, then what does it look like for us to to engage and connect with one another? And there are several things we're going to have to come back to in Ephesians chapter 4. But he makes this statement at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. One verse. Hmm. It's a simple enough verse that I taught my children when they were small. And you can imagine the context, the situation in life that I was having to teach my children this particular verse. He says in verse 32 of Ephesians 4. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Kind of sums it all up. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Two times in that one verse, Paul uses the phrase, one another. And it is an indication that Paul was not talking about specifically, not that we shouldn't be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving to those that are outside the church, but I don't want to bore you with the Greek grammar, but one another is is a reciprocal pronoun. (laughs) Anyhow... I went to school for a lot of years, and you're going to catch some of it, okay? I'm just telling you. You deserve some of this. No. But a reciprocal pronoun is, is, a, is a unique pronoun. It's not he, she, it, they, them, us. It's beyond that. It's a pronoun that denotes a group of people and a connectedness among them. And it's, it's, it's one word in the Greek, but in the English... It is the phrase that captures that one to another or one another. It's a special pronoun. And when Paul says uh, that we are to be kind, we are to be kind one to another. When he talks about us being forgiving, we are to forgive one another. He's talking about our relationship within the body of Christ and how we relate to each other. And, and kind of the reason I came to this verse is not technically because of the kind or the tenderhearted, but it is the word forgiving. And l- let me tell you where I'm coming from this morning. I realize that for us to have relationships with one another, maybe the starting point is that there's got to be some forgiveness and grace and margin in our lives so that we can connect with each other because not everybody's like me. That'd be a good time to say amen. 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 That would be a good time. When the preacher says, I know everybody's not like me, and I look at Brother Barry, then he says, Amen. Amen. Boy, you spoke the truth there. And I realize there's got to be this margin or give and take or this cushion that allows us to be interrelated with each other. And I believe it's in that, it's in that word that Paul says, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. It's, it's the same word. Now it's interesting to denote that in the New Testament there are two words that are translated in English to forgive. Uh... <laughs> The first one that is actually more common than the one we're going to talk about here in just a minute that's in Ephesians 4.32 is the word at its base it means to leave or to let go. And so, you know, I could just preach a sermon that part of forgiveness is just, just let it go. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to raise my voice. I caught you off guard up there. Just let it go. That's what the Greek says. Let it go. Forgive it. Let it loose. Leave it. Let it go. And there is a, something significant in us that part of forgiveness is me just letting some things go. I forgive that. I let it go. It's an offense. Whatever. Something's happened. For my own spiritual walk and sanity, Brother Barry and I think I talked about this. You... You've got to let some things go. Brother Barry, this is true even just in the secular psychological world. I mean, this is, but it's in, invariably when you look at spiritual truth, there's a, it becomes the basis of that psychological truth. There is something psychologically healthy of just forgiving and letting some things go. You've got to, to be able to move on and to maintain your sanity. And so part of forgiveness. In the New Testament is the challenge. You've got to let some things go. Well, I said all that to say that's not this word. No. Mm -mm. That's one of the words for forgiveness in the New Testament. The other one is a word that we get our word for grace from. And that's this. Technically, and you realize when you move from one language to another, you get nuance of meaning. But in the sense paul says in ephesians 4:32 and be kind one to another gracing one another just as god in christ jesus graced you but when we don't we don't generally use grace as a verb and when it becomes a, a, a verb the noun becomes a verb then we the maybe the closest that communicates that is forgive and so in ephesians 4 it says forgiving and and that is part of what it means to grace, to extend grace. But this is the word that is in Ephesians four thirty-two is the word for grace, and grace is a word that means, and in essence, to give. So if if uh, the first word for forgive means to let go. This verb means to give. and In fact, if let go is something almost from my perspective, I need to let some things go, this other word communicates the other side of that, that I'm receiving a gift. So as the offended person, I am letting it go. But for the person that has been offended that you let go, I am receiving a gift. I am receiving grace. You are giving to me. And so I think in some respects... It speaks of two sides of forgiveness. And so when we talk about grace, we're talking about something that the other person does not deserve. Uh, The accompanying qualities of grace I think are in, in verse 32. Part of grace is, yes, forgiving but I think you also fill out like the meaning when you understand that, that Paul first says in, in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind. To be gracious to someone is to be kind. And invariably, we, uh, sometimes we do a better job of extending kindness to those we don't even know than the people we know most. And part of what Paul is saying, those that you know the best that you're in the body of Christ with, be kind. But he also says, be tender-hearted, and so part of the grace, what filling out that meaning is yes, forgiveness, and some of it is is the sense of kindness, but some of it is also being tender-hearted. What is the opposite of being tender-hearted? Is being hard-hearted. We got to come back to that. Paul actually kind of starts the whole chapter in Ephesians four with this, because uh, he says when he makes his transition from. theological to the practical he says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that's the way Paul starts this whole discussion And you see some of those other words that he talks about, humility, lowliness, and he talks about gentleness, which is uh, close to kindness, and he talks about long-suffering. Do you know what the Greek word for long-suffering means? It means to suffer long. I don't mean to be too technical with you today. It means to kind of, it means patience. It's like, okay, hmm, this is a work in progress. Let's be long-suffering and he says, bearing with one another. And then he says, in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So these are all accompanying qualities when we talk about grace. It's that word tenderhearted. And be kind one to another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Tender-hearted. Uh, the opposite of tender-hearted is to be hard-hearted. And what that denotes to me is we have a response, a couple responses when we are in relationships with people within the body of Christ and differences arise. If we are not kind and tender-hearted and forgiving, we will invariably build walls that divide us. You see, I have a a response in my own life of when David Box and I have differences, and we've got differences. I need to visit with you this week. Yeah, there's some problems. There's some issues you and I need to deal with this week. Um... If, if I choose, I can build a wall. And when I build walls, I, I'm not connected. I'm divided. I'm isolating myself. I would contend to you that it is, it is the first call to being related and connecting with one another. Is There has to be grace that becomes a buffer, becomes a margin for difference. That allows us to be related. And if there's not that grace, then we will begin to build walls and it will divide us. It will isolate us from our brothers. And that is not God's intention in our life. The reality is that grace calls for us to have margin for differences. And Brother Barry, this is what I was getting at earlier. I realize I'm <clears throat> i 'm different. I don 't mean to announce this from the pulpit, but you may be different. Just pick no think about that. think about that. I know uh all of us are different uh in so many ways i don 't want to start listing things. <laughs> but just sometimes the way we live or see life or do take care of things, the people that you are called to be in a family with in the body of Christ, they're going to be different from you. And if there isn't grace in your life, you're going to begin to build walls that divide. And that's not what God intended. Let me say this. If you want to find fault in my life, oh, it won't take you long you're not going to have to search hard and wide and that's true for anybody in the body of Christ if you're looking for faults you're going to find them and if you choose those are going to, and you choose that to be a problem then it's going to build walls instead of developing connecting relationships that's why we must extend grace If you are looking for faults within the body of Christ you will find them because all of us are sinners. Your pastor's a sinner. This is about the time my wife goes she, she thought in her mind, amen. Now we're getting down to the truth. No, she's too sweet for that. We're all sinners. And for us to be interrelated and connect with each other and have these relationships, there's got to be some grace. You know, I get this picture from the Scripture of eternity. You know what the Bible tells us is going on right now in eternity? It's like a courtroom and there's two people up there their case you know what it says is that satan is there before the throne of god to accuse who the brethren god's children sister too, two okay don't think you you escape this ladies Satan's up there going, oh, Sammy Weaver, I tell you what, mm, yeah, this, this, this. We don't have time for all that this morning, Brother Sammy. Accusing the brethren, pointing out all the faults of God's children. There's somebody else in that courtroom, and it's Jesus. And the Bible says that he is constantly interceding for the brethren. When Satan brings the accusation, Jesus is in the courtroom says, My blood covered that. He's one of mine. And he diffuses the argument. But the Bible says this is going on constantly, that Satan is accusing, and Jesus is interceding in grace and mercy and truth. And you realize in our lives, taking it from heaven to earth, we have the same choices of what we're going to do. Are God's children messed up and are they sinners? Yes. And we will either accuse them or we will intercede for them in grace. And it becomes our choice. And so when he says forgiving one another, that's what he means gracing one another, responding to the differences in our lives and even our faults. I'm not saying it's just non-moral issues. It can be moral issues. I respond in grace, and here's the kicker. This is why, and this is this is the final point. Just as God in Christ graced you, you say, "Well, I, preacher, you just—they get on my last nerve." Mm. They did this, the, the, yeah. And so did I and so did you. And God forgave me. I'm telling you today when you come to the point and the enemy says you don't need to forgive them, you don't need to extend grace to them because this and that and this and that, you go back to the truth that says I I really believe this in my own life. This is where I come back to in my mind. God will never ask me to forgive somebody else more than He has already forgiven me. I draw from the well of God's forgiveness in my own life to extend that grace to you. And my challenge to you as a pastor is that's what we have to do. I believe it is a starting point for having connecting relationships is to first extend grace. Don't be an accuser of the brethren, but be an interceder for the brethren. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about what God did for us. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. Christians never forget that apart from the grace of God you could not be in relationship with Him. If the father of the prodigal son that day had said, you have offended me deeply and you have no right to be my son and you need to get off of my property, he would have had every right to do so. Except Jesus wasn't telling a story about how we would respond. He was telling a story about how God the Father responds to us. And he hugs him and he kisses him. And he clothes him. And he feeds him. And he restores him. And I believe it changed the prodigal son. And if you ever wonder, how can I extend grace? Remember what it is that God did for you. Amen. It's all about people. You say, well, he or she's not worth it. Well, to God, they were worth it because He sent His Son to die for them and extend grace to them. And if God has so extended grace to the people in this room and in our body of Christ, so should I have no right to refuse grace. Let us do the same. Let me pray. will not you stand with me this morning? Father, today I pray that we would, you would bring us back to the place of grace and to remember what it is that you've done for us. And Father, I pray that you would so fill our lives with your grace and forgiveness that, Father, it would spill over first to those that are within our own church family, the own, our own body of Christ, and then to others. And so, Father, I pray that you'd mark us today. And you change us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.